Hi guys, so today I have a special guest here with me. His name is Nick Gallo. Probably some of you have been seeing him around on LinkedIn. He's a lot on my feed. Uh, I met him uh, a couple uh, weeks ago and um, I just love his energy. I just love uh, the way that he is interacting with people, the value that he's bringing to other people's posts and uh, his energy, I mean, it's just, he, his energy attract me to him. And um, we connect and, and I start mentoring him a little bit about, about personal branding and what he should do, what, should, what he shouldn't do. And, um, and we become friends. And this is the best thing about LinkedIn. And today I have him here on my show because he has a very impactful story that I want to share with you today. And Nick, how are you today? Very good. Thanks for having me, Lorena. It's a pleasure to have you. I mean, you are more than welcome. I'm, I'm happy that you are here with us today because really your story, your age, what you do right now, um, the company that you own and what, is you, what, are, you, what are you trying to do for for people, right? It really yeah. is what attract me to you, you know? Well, yeah, thank you. Thank, thank you so much. Um, you know, thanks for all those kind things you said. I mean, I would say the same thing with you. I mean, I started to see some of the stuff that you were putting out and I just thought, wow, she really gets it. And wow, she, she has the same ethos that I have and she kind of sees the world the same way. And as soon as we started to kind of get to know each other, you know, it just felt like family right off the bat. So I'm just so thrilled to be here and uh, just appreciate the opportunity to of come course. on your show. Of course, of course, of course. You know, it's just, uh, you know, it, I, I talked that about this last time in my podcast that you don't have to chase people to come to you. That's right. You know, once your voice resonates with somebody, you become part of that tribe. That's and right. you support each other because your values and your vision are aligned, you know, so, and that was what happened between you. I mean, this is what happened between a lot of people, you know, today I, while I was driving here, uh, you, when you call me, I was with, with, uh, on the phone with somebody who has been following me for a couple of years. Wow. And right now she needs my services, right? So she's like, I'm ready. And I want to, I want you to be the one. It, well, I think that's an interesting point, right? Um, today in business, it's so transactional and it's so like inhuman. This is not like it was in the fifties or, you know, a hundred years ago. Yeah. And because of that, when there's some authenticity in the mix and there's somebody giving like, like you give, you just give out so much value and you just try to help people. Um, I think not only does it really resonate with people, but it also opens up the door for you to have these business relationships when you know when they're ready yes not everyone is ready the first time you call somebody or the no. first time you meet them but if you can you know to your point if you can resonate with them and you're on the same wavelength or what you're saying is something that you know strikes a heart chord in them well when they're ready then they're going to reach out to you and say hey i really need your help and i've seen it in my own life and i'm sure you see it every day yes. in your life yes and you know I, I, there is something that i really like to talk i don't know if it's appropriate for this for this podcast but i will i will bring it out because yeah. every time i have a thought I, I would like to share it uh i was thinking today that the sales process 
it's not this when you negotiate or would, when you promoting your business or somebody try to get you uh, business on social media. You know, uh, it's completely different than the other process because I sell for a living sure. and I have a process of sales, you know, and the closing process and the discovery process and all the things that you have in the process of sales. But on social media, the process is different. You know why? Because you don't have the people in front of you. That's right. People is not sitting in front of you. The people knows you, trust you, watch you. Then they reach out and then they hear what you're saying. And then sometimes they buy the product right away. But sometimes they say, well, you know, let me let me just have a few thoughts and I will come back to you. And you know what? Today I close a contract at 745 in the morning from a client that I was talking to him since December, from the beginning of December. That's he, right. He told me, I want to I want to think. Just let me think because it's something that I want to really know that this is what I want to have. And I was like, go ahead, take your time. Whenever you're ready, I'm here for you. He reached out to this. one. he's like, I'm ready. I'm like, fantastic. And, you know, it's kind of like if you can envision a fuel gauge, envision that over on this side is green and over on this side is like red or this is the fire. Well, someone's only going to buy when they're in the red or the orange. But 90% of the time, someone's in the yellow or somebody's in the green. Mm -hmm. And in today's culture and today's business culture, to your point, I think people can really leverage social media if they're actually authentic, if they're actually putting themselves out there, and if they're just giving to give. Well, as that gauge starts to kind of get hotter and hotter, and to your point with this with this guy that, that you ended up doing business with, yeah. When, you, when he first came in contact with you, maybe he was in the green or maybe he's somebody that takes a long time to make a decision. I mean, everyone has a different personality type. And I think right now in the world of social media, the marketing has changed. And it's changing so drastically that the consumers right now, Nick, are more aware of what is happening, are more aware that many brands don't, have, don't follow their, their promises Correct. But they are not, they are not, they are completely out of compliances. You know, 100%. That they don't, they don't value the, 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 the consumers that when they promise something, you know, I was driving this morning with my daughter to the school. I was driving her to the school, right? So I was talking to her and I was, she was talking to me about personal branding, you know, because she hears me all day long about she's now personal branding too. So she was like, mom, so... So what happens So the people that sells on Instagram and on all these places, do they develop their personal brand? And I said, no, they develop their brand of their company. And this is what they promote. They have the brand and then they have the, the marketing strategy, right? I said, but it's very um, scary for the consumers just to buy a product because they have a nice land page. Correct. Or because they have a nice marketing uh, campaign and they have a nice videos, a nice music, a nice uh, everything. You know, people sometimes, those are catchy, right? So you are 100%. like, oh my God, I want it. So let me tell you what happened. I, I, and I give her that explanation. I told her two months ago, I was buying a product for my logos. So I saw something and it popped up on, on Instagram and I was like, oh my God, this is what I need. So I went to the to the website and they said that if you if you sign up before the that was the catch if you sign up before um, the Black Friday you will get fifty percent off and I was like what well I'm gonna sign up right I, I like it I want it yeah but I had that feeling in my gut 
You know, I had that feeling that I was thinking, oh my gosh, should I do it? It wasn't that much money. But even though I, I was afraid to make the commitment because I was afraid that the company was not going to deliver what they were promising. You had that inkling. You had I that had it. Thought. I had it. Yeah. So even though I buy it because they promised me that they were going to deliver my product in 48 hours. Right. So 48 hours pass and then 72 hours pass and then one week pass and my product wasn't not arriving. So I was very upset. Sure. And I contact them and I say, I want my refund or I'm going to call PayPal and you're going to have to give me my money anyway. Right because I haven't received it. So they refund for me. But this is what I was telling my daughter, that right now the consumers are afraid just to make any purchases just because it's nice, just because they say, so you need to build trust. Well, I think you bring up a really interesting point. And if you think about, like we've seen this in all media, right? Over the mm -hmm. last 10 or 15 years, um, there's now more music out there than ever. You know, you used to have a, you used to need an editor and all these things to publish a book and go to a press. Well, now you can just publish an ebook, right? Mm -hmm. So there's been this commoditization of all these things. Mm -hmm. There's been the commoditization of high-end videos, high-end websites and so forth. And in that commoditization, I think you're right. I think the consumers at some level, they're like, uh, you know, this looks nice, but is it? And I think where the real value is for people like us who are, who are out trying to push a brand or whatever is to really lean into that authenticity piece because you can't commoditize authenticity. No. You can't commoditize heart. No. That's a real thing. That's a feeling. And I feel it. You know, sometimes clients, you know, contact me and say, you know, I've been looking for your website everywhere and, and I can't find it. And I'm like, but you won't find it because I don't have one. And she's like, but why don't you have one? And I said, well, I will give you two reasons why. One, mm -hmm. if I hire an IT that is going to create my website, it's going to charge me $2,000. And then I will pay $500 for maintain, maintain my, my website for a year. So right. just at the first, the first instant, I'm going to spend $2,500 for a website that is going to have probably 1,000 visitors per month. Yep. And if I want to pay ads, then I have to spend money to pay Google ads so my website can be in the top of the Google and, right. and I, it will have probably 1,000 or 2,000 visitors per month. While here, in each of my posts, I have 20,000, 50,000, 13,000, or 4 million of views in my posts. Why right. am I going to spend that money? Well, and when they go to your website, they're going to go somewhere else to try to get to know you. They're going to go to LinkedIn. Yeah, everybody gonna... runs around. They look yeah. for social proof. Exactly. That's exactly right. Yes. So I, I told them, if you want to look for me, you can look me on Facebook. You can look me on Instagram. You can look for me on Twitter, you know, or you can look for me on Florida. <laughs> I'm here. So, you know, you know what I'm saying? But this is why consumers are, uh, are concerned about if you're real, if you really right. are real, you know, and, and I was, I post something this morning on, on LinkedIn, where I say that you need to trust your viewers, you know, because your viewers are going to be your clients. Right. And this is a hundred percent. I mean, the 70% of my, my clients never engage on my post, never liked my post. They never talked to me, you know, but when they were ready, 
They just but they're watching. They they're are watching. watching. They're watching who you are. They're watching how you interact. They're watching if your brand promise is real. They're looking for people who has hired me and reading the reviews, you know, from people who has hired me and, and seeing in comments, you know, how right. how people is interacting with me and what is my response. And also they're watching everything I say in a comment and how I interact with others. And, you know, it, it, this is important. That's a great point. Yeah, I. that's a really great point. That's not something I've, I've ever thought of. I think I kind of tend, to, or I think I, until you said that, I think I've kind of t tended to think like, well, it's only the people who comment that are actually seeing it, but no. people are, all kinds of people are seeing whatever you're posting. And no, you're gonna, you're gonna, you viewers are your clients. And I'll trust them because the 70% of my clientele are my viewers. They are not people who come and engage. They are not people who come and, 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 and like it. Well, well, the 30%, you know, but the high number is from people who has never engaged here or talked to me or like wow. my, no. Those are that the is, viewers. That is just, that's such a light bulb that just went on for me. Yeah. Such a, but I mean, everybody's I, watching. I mean, don't just go, just go and yeah. see your content. You have likes and you have comments, but you don't have, you have more views than likes and comments. Right. No, that's true. And I think it's kind of a huge opportunity. You know, I mean, you're obviously taking advantage of this huge opportunity. Whereas, you know, five, 10 years ago, everyone would have thought that you were nuts to not have a website. Now you really don't need it because you have all these opportunities to put this social proof out. Okay, I will need it if I'm going to have a webinar, which I don't think I will have a webinar because what I do is personal. And, right. you, you know, we've been talking about personal stuff while I was right. sending you some of, of, the, of the exercises that I do with right. personal branding. So, you know, those are things that you cannot do it on a webinar with 10 people who doesn't know you and you're going to talk about your emotions. I believe when you are coaching somebody, you marry that coach for the period that you are with them because you're sharing your emotions and you yeah. become their friend, right? So you cannot share those kind of things with 10 people that you don't know who they are. Well, because then it becomes inauthentic and then it becomes ineffective and it's... Because it's they, don't, they won't open up. Correct. Because they yeah. will feel shy. I think it's probably hard enough for someone to open up just on a one-on-one -on -one setting to your point, as opposed to a group of 10 people that they don't even know on some kind of a faceless webinar. I even though that I know that you're very, very secure about yourself, you have a very strong self-confidence. I saw in one of your videos that you were like, uh, mm, you know, because those sort of things, that exercise that I send you, it's very strong. I mean, it really helps you to find yeah. out what is the voice that you want to find, that what there's the voice that you want to, express what is your inner self that is going to come out to really represent who you are you know well in that person you know i talk about this a lot um with my team you know we build this armor up over our lives you're on the playground and you're getting picked on and you have to build up a carapace or you have to build up a, a callousness or you know really like a like a knight's armor and you, you, you grow that when you're, a, when you're young, when you go through these experiences and there comes a, a point later on in your life mm -hmm. where you're still wearing it, but you're not on the playground anymore yeah. and you're yeah. carrying these, you're, you're carrying this armor with you when you really don't need it. And I think what's really great about those exercises is it makes you kind of check and say, do I need to be wearing this stuff? Am I, you know, 
you know, armor is great for a battle, but it's really terrible if you're trying to swim across a river. And yeah. difference, you know, we have to really question, well, why am I, why am I, why do I have this shield up? Why do I have the shield of inauthenticity up? And I think there's really a lot of power in sort of shedding that and letting this true you out because the people, like any love in your life is connected to who you actually are, right? Like my closest relationships are with my family and my friends who've seen me at my best. They've seen me at my worst. Those are the real strong like threads of, of relationship to the extent that I have armor up or this inauthentic, uh, you know, mask up or a facade up, there's no, there's no way for a true connection to be had there. And I think the more we can recognize that some of the armor that we're walking through life with, we can shed that we can let our true voice out. And that's, what's really going to resonate with people. I mean, it's a hard thing. Like some of those exercises were kind of revealing and they were hard to think about and hard to talk about and stuff like that. But in doing it, it's really empowering to say, you know what? I don't need this, this armor anymore. Yeah. So Nick, I want you to tell my audience who you are, what you do for a living and, and, and talk about you a little bit and how do you get where you are right now? Because I know that you own the company with your brother. Yeah. Uh, how many employers do you have? We have about 55 right now, 55 um, not counting contractors and other folks mm -hmm. that are part of our network, but we have 50 um, that are in uh, 50, 55 in our, uh, in our four walls. So our story, me and my brother, our story really starts when my grandfather um, and my father came over from Cuba. So my grandfather uh, built a really great business in Cuba. That's where my family's from. Nice. Arroz con frijoles. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Hard to find in Charlotte. Okay. I know. Uh, but uh, he built a great business and he was an entrepreneur there mm -hmm. and he, he had kind of made it. He had three kids and they had a, you know, they had, they had, you know, a beach house and the villas and they had the servants quarters. I mean, he was at the upper echelon. He really built a great business. And one day uh, Castro's show, uh, soldiers showed up at his, at his business and said, your bank account is now the people's. Your business is now the people's. All these things that you've accumulated and built on your own ingenuity and through your own entrepreneurship, these are now the states. So, I mean, it's hard for us in America to wrap our heads around what that must have been like, right? Wow. But my grandparents were very, I mean, imagine, they were like, what does this mean? What does this mean for our kids? So they sent them to America. We had some family over here in Miami. And for the next nine months, my dad and his two sisters were living with family, not knowing if they were going to ever see their parents again. Wow. So how old they, they were? Uh, my dad was like 10. His Oh, they were his, little. They were little. Um, his younger sister was like eight. Oh and then God. his older sister was like 11 or 12. So I can only imagine. I mean, imagine putting your kids on. Okay. You know, you know, I'm sh she was reassuring them. We're going to see you. You know, don't worry. We're going to see you soon. She had no clue if she was even going to be able to get out. I mean, it was a really crazy time. So they ended up getting out. Um, and at that time you just kind of went where there was family. So for us, we had family in Miami, New York, or in Chicago. And I don't know if they drew the short straw or what, but they landed in Chicago. And, uh, so my grandfather who was kind of at the top of the food chain in Cuba mm -hmm. is he now finds himself in a country that he doesn't know. He doesn't speak the language. You know, he's in his late forties at this point. He doesn't speak the language. He was a, he was a, a professional entrepreneur over here. Now he's in Chicago. He's working in a pizza factory. It's snowing. Okay. There's no palm trees in Chicago. He okay? didn't have a car. 
Yeah. I mean, they, they didn't have anything. I mean, they came with nothing. They came with whatever they could keep on their back. I mean, we really came here with nothing. And the reason I tell that story is because that story was told to us at a young age uh, growing up. And it was just to illustrate the fact that, you know what, while this country is not perfect, no country is, there's at least something here called the American dream. There's at least something here called upward mobility. This is at least a place where you can work hard and you can build your skills and you can find opportunities to better your life and create opportunities for your family and stuff like that. So that story, that American dream story was always told to us growing up and our family fell on some really hard times when we were young and we kind of lost everything. We how, moved old down you, how old were you? I was just starting kindergarten. So I remember all of this. So we, we moved down to Orlando where my mom's parents uh, lived and we, you know, we were jammed in, into a spare bedroom that they had my, you know, me and my, uh, brother and sister. And the next seven years I saw our, you know, again, we lost it all and we really felt like the bottom lost it all, 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 all lost it all. And so we were starting over from scratch and obviously it was a super, you know, nerve-wracking time for my parents it was a very stressful stressful time so tell me so tell me when they were going through all this what do you mean that we lost all i mean they repossessed the cars they took your house yeah. away what yeah happened? you know lost the house lost the cars uh lost you know we didn't have anything we 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 went bankrupt and you know so i had heard this story for all these years mm -hmm. and we fell to the bottom of the bucket and over those next seven years i saw us climb up through all these different socioeconomic strata we were in the worst neighborhoods in the worst schools and then we went to the second to worst neighborhood and then we went to the third worst neighborhood right and we kept climbing and i saw them live out this 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 american dream right before my eyes so i heard the story and then i saw it live and i saw them through their ingenuity and through god's grace really kind of pull us up and help us climb up out of the bucket. And uh, they ended up landing, you know, we ended up moving around a ton. I went to like a ton of different schools. I was always the new kid, but- I read that. So talk about, talk about that, about that. What happened? You know, I, yeah, it was, you know, it was like, again, we're school. Okay, we're gonna work as hard as we can. You know, we were moving around all the time, trying mm -hmm. to keep climbing. You know, what they showed me is that you never have to settle. You don't have to settle. There's always something more if you wanna work hard and you wanna do it. So. But along with that came a certain like instability that obviously as a, you know, 10 year old or a nine year old is kind of difficult standing up there in front of the class, being the new kid again, you don't know anybody, don't they know bully anybody. a new set of bullies to mm -hmm. deal with in every new neighborhood and stuff like mm -hmm. that. But I think looking back, it really made me who I am and it really helped to galvanize my family um, because all we ever had was each other. So mm -hmm. we ended up fast forward. We ended up landing in a in a you know a great school district in in Indianapolis. This was you know maybe five you know ten years later, mm -hmm. um, and we started a business there. And it was a credit card processing business. And this was back in the the early '90s when debit cards were first coming out and stuff like that. And, How old were you? Uh, I was just starting eighth grade. Okay. So up until uh, eighth grade, I went to at least one different school every year. Oh my god! But there we finally landed with some stability. Now mm -hmm. you know we ended up staying there through high school, which was great. And that was, that was a weird thing to see the same people <laughs> the next year. Okay. <laughs> but, but it was it, nice, right? So because they were your friends. Yeah. And I could start to build relationships yes. that, you know, towards the end, I was kind of getting a little, if I'm honest, like I was getting a little bit jaded, you know, it was like, you know, you'd make these friends and then the next year they'd be gone. You don't, and you don't have them anymore. 
And in that moment, I think it was hard. But again, looking back, you know, in the rearview mirror, it really showed me that like the constants in life are not these friends. The constants are my family. The constant is my brother. And that that's really what galvanized our family. So when they started there or when when we moved there, we started this business and um, our family motto is see what you can do to help. There's four kids in the family. We're a big family. And in the business, we were there uh, after school and we were there on the weekends cleaning toilets, taking out the trash, just doing whatever we could to help stuffing envelopes for mailers and all that. And then as we got older, we got to take on more responsibility. And, uh, you know, we had a sales organization. So I was on the phone setting appointments for the reps. And this was before my voice changed. So they all thought I was a woman. That's fine. I didn't care. Oh my God. How old were you? How old were you? <laughs> as long as I was like, you know, 13 12, or 13 12, on yes. the phone. So yeah. they thought that you were a girl because the yeah, your voice. that's okay. I got the appointment. So that, that's, that's all that matters. awesome. So you've been doing that since you were 13 years old. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, whenever we had like something from school to sell, my parents never took that to the office and sold it for us. They made us go door to door and you know, learn to sell and learn to make connections with people and stuff like that. So, you know, we always grew up in this kind of sales environment and this sales culture. And um, my brother and I were the first ones in our entire family to go to college, which was such a great blessing. Mm -hmm. And then the other side of it, my parents were always very open to let us bring stuff back to the business. They were always saying, what are you learning in school? What can we do to help make, make the business better? So there was always like a very low ego in our family. There was always a kind of idea meritocracy before I even knew what that term meant, that was always kind of in the mix. And this one year, you know, we were learning about strategy in school and accounting and finance. And we came in and, you know, looking back, you know, it's kind of silly, but we thought we were like business consultants. We came in and we made all these changes to the business and it wasn't just us. It was the whole family doing it, but we got to see, <laughs> <That's> um, <sweet. laughs> we got to see the impact that it had not only on our bottom line, which is great, but it changed lives of our employees. And, you know, as we got older, we got to recognize the way that our parents ran their business was a really, what I think a special way they, they put their clients first and they, they put their people first and they kind of did the right things. They sowed the right seeds. You know, mm -hmm. my dad always says you don't plant corn and then get surprised that you didn't grow oranges. You know, the seeds you plant, the term is the harvest That's what that you're you going to have. Of course. So we got to see that kind of played out. And it was that summer that my brother and I you know, we said, man, wouldn't it be so cool if when we're older, we're able to run a business together and build something together and, you know, create opportunities for people and, you know, make an impact on the world. That's really mm -hmm. what, what my whole life dream is. Right. So we then went to college and, uh, we learned kind of some basic skills like accounting and finance and economics. We made a transition into financial services. Um, again, we wanted to try to learn as much as we could and um, we got to see a bunch of different transactions and a bunch of different companies and deals and how to, you know, how to find risks. Mm -hmm. And then we made a transition into private equity, which is kind of like, a, you know, it's kind of like house flipping. You find a house, you make some changes to the house, you put some new linoleum down, you build an addition, and then you try to sell that house for a profit. So that was interesting to start to see how to run a business from a board level. But again, it wasn't, your hands weren't on the business, you know, your cycle time with the company was only three to six years. And sometimes a, sometimes the right thing for, for a business, you know, it takes 10 years for, for the tree mm -hmm. to grow. Mm -hmm. So you don't have that op opportunity because you have to sell that company and return the money to the investors. So we basically found out, uh, you know, we've, we found out about uh, a way for a way for us to find a company that was existing that we could come into 
and you know purchase it, replace the departing owners, and carry that torch forward and help grow that business and you know create more opportunities for people and so forth. So that's what we did. We found um, we found this company. It's a, a compliance company, and we help people with um, we help kind of make the world a better workplace. So we have tools like a hotline. We have background screening. We have training. We have different things that help organizations really drive their culture forward from a compliance standpoint, Mm -hmm. not only to be that seatbelt to keep their business safe, to mitigate risks and so forth, but also to hopefully be a spoiler on the car to help that thing go faster by Mm -hmm. reinforcing the culture and creating a safe, inclusive place for their workforce. So So what is is your title in the company? My title is the chief servant. So our organization is uh, what I would call a we have the traditional structure. So most, most organizations are a pyramid like this. Mm-hmm. That's not how organizations were originally set up. They were originally set up to serve somebody. And we as humans are wired to serve up. And I say that and some people kind of scratch their head. And then I say, <laughs> have you ever asked a three-year-old to help you with the dishes? And have you ever seen their, their eyes light up when you give them a spatula to go put in the drawer? They just want to help. We just want to help. Mm-hmm. We just want to serve. That's true. And we're going to serve up. So in those kind of organizations where the top of the pyramid is the CEO, well, everyone's there trying to serve the CEO. And that turns into a political organization. It turns into a place where um, you're really just trying to keep the person above you happy. And nowhere on that structure is the client. Mm-hmm. So in our organization, we flip that thing upside down. And we have an inverted pyramid. So my brother and I, we are the chief servants of our company. We're the roots of this tree. And our job is to push these nutrients up so that we can serve the real client uh, or the real boss, which is the client. That's, that's who's at the top of that's our amazing. Whose idea was that? Um, I don't know. I mean, it was just kind of how we've always thought about it. Like I didn't, you know, I didn't come, I didn't go all in and move from Chicago to come to Charlotte um, to be a king, to be carried up a mountain or to be worshiped. Like I came down here and my brother came down here to make an impact on the world. And if we're in a service, if we're in a service organization, how can I be banging a gavel screaming at everyone to serve the client when I'm not a servant? So we need to be the lowest in the company. We need to be the servants of everybody in the company. And I think in doing that, it's really sent a strong message to our organization in terms of like, who's the boss and what matters. In this kind of an organization, it's really hard for people to be that authentic servant. There's so much ego that ends up getting in the mix. There's so much mm-hmm. fear that gets in the mix. Mm-hmm. But when your boss is your servant, it's a really freeing thing. It really makes people feel a lot more safe and inclus- you know, included in the whole story. You know? Yeah. Let me ask you a question. I mean, right now, you know, there is a lot of brands and a lot of companies who are right now um, having a purpose, right? Mm-hmm. What is the purpose of your company? What is the purpose of your company or the message of your company to help the community, to help, uh, yeah. to help uh, the world, to help something? What is, you, did your company has any purpose like that? Yeah, I love, I love that question. We were just talking about it today. We are here to make our world a better workplace. Mm-hmm. So that starts in our four walls. That starts with our 55 people here and making them... Uh, you know, I've worked in a lot of companies. I've seen a lot of companies In a lot of companies, they make you kind of have this dichotomy between the real you and the work you. 
So you get out of your car, you put on your work mask, you go to work, you're your fake self at work. You don't want to get in trouble and you play those kinds of games. What we're trying to do is make our world a better workplace, which is here. So we want people to bring their authentic selves to work. We want them to feel safe and want them to feel included. We want them to feel part of something. We want to create opportunities for people to put their God-given gifts to work mm -hmm. and to recognize that they have a lot of genius inside of them that maybe has never been tapped before. Mm -hmm. So some of this stuff may sound kind of cheesy or whatever, but this is how I look at the world. This is what it is. And I've seen tremendous, uh, tremendous gains in our business by tr just treating people like human beings. What a concept. Um, just a little bit of it's respect. It's hard, right? It's not hard. It's not hard, but it is hard if there's like a fear fuel running through the company or a fog of fear that you're trying to sort through all the time, or if there's so much ego involved because you don't want to get fired or you're worried so much about what people think, you know, it, for me, it's been very freeing to be this, to be this servant because it's allowed us, it's allowed people to really buy in to this concept, to your point, this purpose, culture, our culture, right? So we don't have a fake culture. Our values are not just on the wall. We live them out every day. And you can ask anybody in the company if this is the best company they've worked at. I'm probably not everyone will say that because we still have standards and stuff, but like people feel included here and people are willing to put their neck out. And they're, willing, they're willing. So when I was doing um, private equity, we would invest in manufacturing companies. And there were kind of two types of companies. Um, there were the ones where the white hairs would come in four times a year with their ties and they would tell everybody how, what to do. And they would say, you know, you're doing that wrong. Do it this way. Here's my idea on how the business should be run. That's, that's one company. The other companies, the ones that I think really got it right were the ones who empowered the people who recognized that the best ideas are probably going to come from the shop room floor. The guy who's been running this machine for the last 15 years, he probably has the best ideas on how to optimize that process. So if you can empower that guy and you can give him a voice to say, hey, I don't think we're doing this right. You know, no offense. There's always a respectful way to do it. Mm -hmm. Hey, I don't think we're doing this right. This is how I would do it. They always outperformed and it was always a better culture. And you can always feel the culture when you walk through the through through anywhere. You know what I'm saying? Of course. If, yeah. So um, so that's so it kind of starts in our business to make our business a better workplace. And now we're trying to help other organizations who are like-minded, who recognize that their people are their greatest asset, that their people are what they need to empower to make a difference in their mm -hmm. business. Um, we can really resonate with those folks and share tactics and share techniques and help them put the processes in place to really turn HR or turn ethics and compliance into a strategic lever. It's not a check the box function. It's something that can actually change people's lives. And so when we're talking about changing the world, uh, we're talking about doing it through the workplace. We're not walking down the streets with picket signs and stuff like that. But if we can change the workplace where most people spend most of their time, of then they can bring those positive energies home and they, they don't bring all that baggage that they're getting at oh, work. That's terrible. So, that's terrible to work for somebody or for so, a company that you don't, you don't want to go to work. But you have but to because it's, it's what pays people. the bills. Yes. It's most people who do that. I know. It's, it's crazy. It's bad and it's sad. It is so, sad. so tell me something, what, what are you doing on LinkedIn? Um, so our business, we've been in here for about three years and we've really just, again, we we're taking a long-term view with this, with this business. Um, if we were doing like a house flip where we were just trying to buy it and flip it real quick, we'd have probably run it different, but because we're taking this long-term view, it's freed us up to what we think do it right. Mm 
Mm-hmm. So we'd been focusing on the business and focusing on improving it and making investments in the company and fixing our operations so that when it's time to scale, we're not going to trip over ourselves and that we don't mess up the experience for our new clients, that they have a different experience than our legacy clients, right? Mm-hmm. So now that we're our, now that we're finally doing those things, we're now working on growth. And so for me, um, we're trying to just get our name out there. We're trying to search, we're trying to push our brand out there. We've built something that's special here. And I think it's, I think when people start to see it, it's going to really resonate with them because it's real. It's, it's all the stuff you were talking about, that authenticity, that, that feeling people are going to see it. Um, and so we're on LinkedIn to start, uh, I'm there to learn. There's so much, like, there's so much to learn there. Um, I'm there to give, you know, I think that we, we have some interesting perspectives that I want to share. And ultimately we're there to sell, right? We want to make connections with folks that we can help to make their world a better workplace so that we can make this impact on the world. That is our, our ultimate dream, you know? Absolutely. What is the name of your company? Our company is called Compliance Line. Okay. Oh, that's a nice name. Oh, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) So Nick, is there anything that would you like to add to this interview? Yeah, I think that um, if there's one piece of value that I can give to Mm -hmm. anybody who's listening to this, it's that um, you can get everything in life you want if you help enough other people get what they want. So that's something that Zig Ziglar said that I've really grabbed onto and it's Mm -hmm. created, it's really been the root of all my success um, and all the impact that I've been able to have. And inherent to that is that sort of servant mentality. Mm -hmm. Inherent to that is a it's a selflessness. Mm-hmm. It's putting other, other people's needs before your own, not worrying so much with this fixed mentality that, well, what am I going to get? What am I going to get? You know what? If you plant good seeds, you're going to get that good harvest. Mm-hmm. If, you, if, you, if you help enough other people get what they want, you're just going to get what you want. It's just, it's, it's just an inevitable thing. And it's a really freeing thing because then you don't have to keep this balance sheet of, am I giving too much? You know what? We got to just give to give. And I think as more people do that, I think the world's kind of ready for it because we have this kind of, you know, faceless culture right now, right? A lot of, uh, it's so transactional. It's, it's, so it's, it's changing. It's, it's transitioning right now. And I agree. this year, I mean, many millennials are going to take over on many companies. That's right. And, and the mindset of the millennials are completely different. And I support them 100%. Well, it's almost like you are a millennial. Because like I you am, you know, it. but the limit is, <laughs> yes, I am. You know what happened? I am not. But, well, you know, my mom, uh, it, it was an anthropologist. So I grew up in a very open mind right. um, household, very open mind, um, very free. I had a lot of freedom. I mean, I'm talking about, you know, not freedom, like do whatever you want, but freedom of my thinking, freedom right. of my mind, freedom of my decisions. You know, so my mother raised us that way. My father was a little bit more Mexican macho, but my Uh mom was like more open-minded. So she raised us like millennials. Isn't that interesting? Yes. And you know what's what's super interesting is that all those those colors on the palette that 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 you were kind of painted with are now what's really resonating with people. Because it's real, because it's authentic, because it's more than the check the box type of thing. And, and probably that's why a lot of my following are millennials. Interesting. Because because probably my voice resonates with them. Right. You know what I'm saying? I'm not the typical 
you know, 40 something years old woman that comes and say, well, listen to me. You right. know, <laughs> you yeah. know, this is this is not my position. I mean, my position right now is to help millennials or to help 